Well, if you would, would you grab hold of a Bible and turn to Psalm 90? This morning, we're going to look at the whole of Psalm 90 as we consider our challenge to pray. So hear God's word. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty, Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad in all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And for as many years as we have seen evil, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Father, we are are so thankful that we can open up your word and hear it and sit underneath it. And we trust that you will meet our needs in your word. Your word is so richly diverse, and we come this morning with so many different needs. And yet with your word, even this single psalm, you can meet our many needs. And so we ask this morning that you would draw near to us and you would fasten your word upon our hearts, that we might be changed by it. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So if you've been collecting these cards, we've got a whole range of colors, a new color every week. We started with orange to, to green to blue to a real, a real bright green. And now we're here. We've got our last challenge card, and it's to pray. So you've been called to do all sorts of things throughout this series of sermons. You've been called to sign up and volunteer. You've been called to to give. You've been called to memorize. And now I'm calling you to pray. Now you'll notice that pray is our last challenge card. It's the last imperative given to you. And coming last does not communicate its value as if signing up and volunteering, as if memorizing and giving were the important things, and now we're just tacking on prayer at the end because we just need to 
tack on something else. Or it's just the garnish on the plate. No, we end with prayer because prayer should have the last word and ultimately prayer is the most important word. And we believe this because if any of these ambitions are to to take root and grow up and produce fruit, which we really want to see in the coming months, these ambitions have to be watered with prayer again and again and again. And so if you're going to participate in any of these challenge cards, I hope you will most enthusiastically Participate in this last challenge card that you will devote yourself to pray daily over these ambitions, that they would take root, that they would grow up, and that they would produce fruit. So the challenge card is to pray and pray daily over these four ambitions. And so I want to spend most of our time readying us to do that, thinking about prayer. So intellectually, we get the importance of prayer. Prayer is what we are to be known for as Christians. So you go to Acts chapter 2, and here we get a description of the early church, and we we find these characteristics. They're known through their adherence to the apostles' teaching, to to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and also to the the prayers. And so we see prayer is to be our our constant work. It's not a work that we take up for a time, and then we, we get tired and bored of it, and then we just put it away, put it on the shelf, and ignore it. No, we're to be known for prayer as Christians. It's to be our constant work. Jesus taught us that we should always to pray and never lose heart. And Paul tells us that we should should pray without ceasing. We shouldn't stop praying. And so as you think about all of that, that's just Christianity 101. That's nothing new. That's nothing novel. We get that. But what I find interesting from my own pastoral observations is when you talk to different Christians... The point at which most Christians struggle the most is this very issue, the matter of prayer, where we're often the the weakest in the Christian life is when we come to this matter of prayer. Many of us struggle with consistency. We pray and we devote ourselves to a regimen of prayer and we do it for a few days and all of a sudden a drought of prayer comes and we, we stop praying for days, for days. Many of us struggle with meaningfulness in prayer. Prayer just seems dead and dull and mechanical. You you go to pray and you set aside that time and and your mind just wanders here and there and over everything else but but offering up yourself to God. So prayer can just seem frustratingly boring. So we have to ask, well, why? Why do we struggle? Why are we weak here? And I don't think the issue here is an intellectual issue. Christians know we should, we, as Christians, we know we should pray. And when we, we don't pray, we, we feel this guilt. It just comes upon us. We, we feel it right away. And maybe this morning you're, you're feeling guilt because you're in one of those seasons of drought. The guilt is creeping up. Nor do I think our deficiency in this matter of prayer is, is due to instruction. There are so many resources on prayer. And so we have to ask, well, what's the issue here? Why do we struggle with something so intellectually simple, so essential to the Christian life? Why are we weak here? Well, in one way, it's really hard to articulate, well, this dysfunction. I could simply say this morning, well, the dysfunction is a matter of your heart. Why do you struggle with prayer? Why do you stop praying? Why do you find prayer so frustrating and often so boring? Well, the answer, it's your heart. Your heart's the problem. 
Your heart doesn't want to pray, so you don't pray. And your, your heart doesn't relish communion with God, and so you find it boring. Now, while that's true, I, I don't think that captures well the, the issue. Uh, perhaps a different way, maybe a better way to state it is something like this. Have you ever prayed with somebody? Maybe it was in a small group. Maybe you pulled aside and were praying just with someone else. And that person really prayed. And you knew it. There was something different about their prayers. There was nothing rote to their prayers. There was nothing mechanical to it. There was nothing dull and boring. There was a verve. There was a life, liveliness to it. They, they drew you in and they drew you up and they brought you towards God in their prayers. You were warmed with it as if they were, they were seeing something when they were praying that you couldn't see. It's like they were tasting something in their prayers that you couldn't taste. It was like a, a force was pressing down upon them and driving them forward in prayer. And there you were, watching and observing all of it. And you were saying, that man, that woman, they're really praying. I see it. And you feel your lack in your own life. So how do we grow up in prayer? How can we be a people who really pray? And as we think about this last challenge, how can we be a people who daily strive in prayer for these ambitions that God would bless them? Well, the answer is we need that verb. We need that liveliness. We need to see something we haven't seen before, and we need to taste something that we haven't tasted yet. We need that something to, to press down upon us and drive us forward to the Lord in, in prayer. And so my, my aim this morning is to go to Psalm 90, and by God's grace, we'll gain such a sight and such a taste from Moses, the man of God. So look at Psalm 90 with me. Right away, we notice that Psalm 90 is a prayer that's obvious. It's in the superscript. The superscript says this is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And so Moses wrote these words for Israel. A prayer for Israel. Israel is to take these words and to, to sing them up and offering to the Lord and, and bring these things before the Lord. And there's some very practical and moving petitions in Psalm 90. So helpful. In fact, if you look down in your Bibles to verses 16 and 17, I have been praying these, these words nearly every day this summer for our church and our ambitions. These words have been just forming my thinking and my prayers for us. Moses says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Those are moving words, and I hope you'll find those moving and helpful for you. But before we can get to those words of petition, we, we first need to listen to all that Moses has to say, and he has a lot to say, and this is where it gets really interesting for us. This psalm is a prayer, but before Moses asks anything of God, which he does at the end of the psalm, he speaks to God about God, and he speaks about God to all of Israel, the congregation of God's people. And so before Moses leads us to start asking God for things, he wants to show us what he sees, and he wants us to taste what he tastes of the Lord. Now, I want to give you a warning here right at the beginning as we start looking at the psalm. Moses is going to show us some things that we might not want to look at. He's an honest man, and he is going to have us taste some things 
that might not taste very good to you. Our palates are probably not used to it. The flavors might be strange. But I, I urge you at the beginning here, remain patient with Moses. Remain patient. We're going to work through his words. And the reality is this. If we stick with Moses and if we look where he points and if we really look, if we really stare... And if, we, and if we taste, he's going to set things before us. And if we taste what he sets before us, if we really chew on it, really swallow it, we will be led to pray and we will be led to pray differently. So let's look at the text. Let's ask, what does Moses want us to see? What does Moses want us to taste? First, he wants us to look at ourselves. He's going to give us a good long look at ourselves. And second, he's going to set before us truth about God and we need to taste it, taste it. So let's start with ourselves. So Moses is reflecting in Psalm 90, and his reflections lack all charm. You have to love Moses here. He doesn't offer up any positive thinking. He doesn't offer a joke to break the ice with God's people. Rather, he comes to God's people with brutal honesty. And and Moses' words are, are raw and unnerving. And I think that's the point of what Moses is doing. His words are jarring, and he wants us to be jarred. And to get this done, Moses uses a series of metaphors in in verses 5 through 8. He's describing us. He compares our lives to that of of debris swept away by flooding waters. He he compares our lives to a night of sleep. You you lay down at night in a seeming instant. It is morning again. What happened to those eight hours or those seven hours? They're just gone. Or even worse, he, he describes our lives as perhaps a dream. You wake up in the morning and, and you faintly remember that you dreamed something. Or even worse, you dreamed like 10 things and you don't remember any of them in the morning. That's your life. Moses goes on, our lives are like the grass. The grass in the morning is refreshed by the dew and it, and it grows up, sprouts up, and then the sun comes, bakes the grass, and it withers and fades and is gone. That's how Moses describes our lives. And he's saying, take a look here. This is who you are. This is what you were like. You were like debris. You were like a night of sleep or a a dream. You were like grass. What does Moses want us to see of ourselves here? What does he want us to get? Well, he wants us to see our fragility and our weakness. He wants us well acquainted with the brevity of life in this present world. Maybe if Moses were alive today and he was writing to us, if he were with us this morning, he'd use some different imagery. Perhaps he would compare our lives to that of a news cycle. Your life vanishes just as quickly as the headline from yesterday. Do you remember the headline in the news from yesterday? I don't. It's gone. That's your life. Or maybe you would compare it to your smartphone. You pull out one of those apps and you're just scrolling along image after image after image, Moses would probably say, that's your life. You're just passing through all of these images. Your years just go by like that. Gone. That's you. So Moses uses this imagery, this metaphor, to get his point across. He wants us to get this. And he also uses straightforward language to help us as well. Verse 10, Moses writes, the years of our lives are 70 Or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. That's your life. 70, 80 years, you're done. And even if you have a strong life, you live long, your life is just filled with toil and trouble. And so we're looking where Moses points. And he's pointing us to our our weakness, our fragility, 
our brevity. And we have to ask Moses. We've got to press upon him. We just can't take what he says. We need to press on him. We need to ask him, well, why is life like this, Moses? Why is it like this? And we might be tempted to say as we think with the spirit of the age, well, it's just always been like this. People are born, you live for a while and people die. You're born and you die. You're born and you die. It's just like this. That's just life. It's normal. It's the way it's meant to be. But Moses won't have anything to do with something like that. According to Moses, there is a reason why our lives are so fragile and weak and our years are so brief. Look at verse 3. Moses speaks to us. He says, You return man to dust. He's speaking about what the Lord does. And say, Return, O children of man. Think about it like this. Why do men and women fall dead every day? Every day, thousands of people are falling dead. Is it just the the conclusion of a long, drawn-out biological process? Moses says no. Yes, there's biology involved here, but there's something below that. At root, it is the voice and the command of God. He gives forth his command every day. God is speaking thousands of times every day, saying to men and women all over the world, return. And what happens? There's a funeral the next day or the following day. That's what God does. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. But as we take in verse 3, that still doesn't satisfy us. We ask as keen readers of Scripture, well, why would God do that? Why would God destroy his creation? That's what God is doing, return to dust. He's destroying what he made, men and women every day. Well, Moses probes deeper. He goes to the root of it all, verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. Why fragility? Why weakness? Why are our lives brief? Why do we end up as dust, returning to what we were made out of? Well, Moses says it's because of this. It's because of your rebellion against God. Moses is tracing everything back to one disease root, and this is what Moses wants us to look at in this psalm, a long, good look at it. He sets before our eyes our humanity with all of its warts and blights and diseases, and he says, look, 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 don't look away. You need to see this. This is your life. This is who you really and truly are. So that's what Moses shows us. But Moses doesn't stop with this. He has more for us. And after showing us ourselves, he wants us to draw near to God, and he wants us to taste God for who God truly is. And so the big picture that we get is Moses does his work of showing us God is is overwhelming. God in Psalm 90 is big. We could say enormously big. He is immense. So Moses tells us our life is 70 years, and if we have great strength, great health, we can maybe make it to 80 years. And today, maybe we can make it to 900. But God is so much bigger. Moses preaches, verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past as a watch in the night. Just stack up a thousand years. Something that we can't even get our minds around. Historians study history, and they cannot even, they cannot even wrap their arms around a period of time so big. And what Moses says, that's just like the passing of yesterday to the Lord. It's just like a watch in the night. It's just a few hours in the middle of the night for the Lord our God. 
As Moses has told us, our life is full of weakness. We're like grass. We're just here for a moment, then we're, we're gone the next. There's nothing permanent. There's nothing stable about our life. We're simply dust, and we're trending back to our dusty origins. But the Lord, Moses tells us, he is eternal and he is permanent. There is no beginning to our God, and there is no end to our God. Verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You see what Moses is doing. He's preaching to us. God is big. God is enormous. God is immense. God is eternal. And Moses wants these truths anchored in our minds. But Moses wants more for us here. He's building us up. He wants this knowledge of God under our skin. And he does this by connecting our sin to this knowledge of God. And what Moses ends up doing is he comes to us and he pries open our mouths and he does something really disturbing. He starts ladling in the wrath and anger of the Lord. Just listen to Moses. What is it that presses down upon us day by day, year by year? Moses answers verse 9. For all our days pass away under your wrath. What is it that brings our lives to an end and brings us crashing back to the earth? Moses answers, verse 7, for we are brought to an end by your anger. And we should get under our skin and unnerve us, terrify us. Verse 7, by your wrath we are dismayed. And what should fill our minds? Moses answers, verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Just listen to Moses in Psalm 90, and it's on repeat, anger and wrath, wrath and anger, anger and wrath, again and again and again. He's repeating those words to us. And as we take it in, we might want to confess that this doesn't taste right to us, and it doesn't taste very good. And so we're met with some temptations. We might be tempted to ignore what Moses is saying, I want to hear this from you, Moses. But Moses is an incessant preacher. He just keeps preaching wrath and anger, anger and wrath. He doesn't stop. We might be tempted to say, well, Moses, this isn't for me. I'm a Christian. I'm past all of this vocabulary. But we have to remember, who's Moses writing this prayer for? It's the covenant people of God. It's the people bound up in the covenant of grace, the same covenant we belong to. And we might be tempted to discount Moses' words, just thinking, this is just Old Testament stuff. But Moses won't have any of that. He just keeps on preaching. But catch this. There is a tension in Psalm 90. And Moses wants us to feel the pull of this tension. Behold God, Moses preaches. Behold him in his immensity. Behold him in his infinitude. Behold him in his just and burning anger. Don't look away, but don't stop there. Behold him in the covenant of grace. Behold him in the promise. Behold him in the gospel of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the verse that creates all of the tension in Psalm 90 is the very first thing we hear out of Moses' mouth as he starts the prayer. Before he mentions at wrath or anger, he says this, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. What is the Lord saying to his people? 
The Lord, he's a refuge for his people, a place of safety from all trouble and threat. He is a mountain fortress unassailable by enemies, and he has been this for his people, a refuge, a fortress for all generations in slavery, in Egypt, at Sinai, in the wandering years of the desert, in times of plenty and want, in times of faithfulness and rebellion. He has been their dwelling place. Lord, Moses says as he starts this prayer, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And we feel the tension of Psalm 90. So what do we do with Psalm 90 then? I hope you feel the tension. I feel the tension. Well, the answer should be really obvious. It's what the challenge card's about. We pray. And it's only after receiving all of what Moses has shown us, look at yourself, it's only after we we taste what Moses has set before us, eat this, that we can really pray. And if you're really taking in what Moses is saying, looking at where he's pointing and eating what he is giving, you just want to pray. You just want to pray. So after all of that, let's take a look at Moses' petitions because his petitions bring together the whole of this psalm and solve the tension for God's people. Look at verse 12. Moses says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What are we asking for in verse 12? We're asking that God would take all of the truth that Moses has shown us about ourselves, the brevity, the weakness, the futility, our sin, that God would press it upon our hearts, and because of that, we would learn to be wise. That we would learn to order our lives differently than everyone else. Verses 13, 14, and 15, Moses prays, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. What are we asking for in these three verses? Well, we're asking for an experience of fullness of God's covenant of grace. We are pleading that all of God's mercies, all of God's faithfulness, all of God's kindness would be richly and freely applied to us. We are asking that God would turn our fortunes around, that we would no longer eat wrath and anger, but instead we would banquet on God's covenant-keeping love forever. We are asking that all sorrow and fright would be put away from us, and that we would feast on joy and gladness, and we would be filled with these realities now and forevermore. In praying this, what are we doing? We are fleeing from wrath, and we're fleeing to God in his promises. Moses goes on, and this is where these petitions get really sweet. Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. What are we asking? We are asking that God would accomplish all that he said he would do and accomplish. We're taking God to the bank on his promises. What are we asking? We're asking for the victory of the serpent-smashing seed. We're asking for the overthrow of all God's enemies, and he would grind them to dust. We're asking for the salvation of the nations, that he would gather in a great numberless people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We're asking ultimately for the glorification of Jesus Christ in everything. We're praying, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Oh God, do what you said you would do. 
do what you said you would do in Genesis chapter 3. And what you promised to Abram and Isaac and Jacob and to Moses and to David and all of the prophets, do it. I want to see it more than anything else. Verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Again, what are we asking? Remember who God is here. Who is he? He is immortal, eternal, almighty. He is immense, way bigger than us. And what we are asking is that this very God, immortal, eternal, almighty, would take his hands and wrap them around our feeble, weak, and brief lives. We're asking that God would come and so take us unto himself that our lives, as a result, would matter and actually count for something. That our work, God has called us to do things in this world that our work would stand and not be swept away by the sands of time. That our work and our deeds in the Lord would stand for countless generations and would serve the people of God and work for the good of all people. You see, we can actually pray after we listen to Moses. We've been looking where he points and we've been tasting what he's been giving us. And after we do that, we come to these petitions and there is so much life here. We're reaching and we're actually grabbing hold of something. We're actually seeing something and we're praying. And that's how we should pray. We should pray with sight and we should pray with taste. And so there we have Psalm 90. And I hope it serves you in this challenge. And the challenge is pray over these four ambitions. And to do it with Psalm 90. What a precious gift Psalm 90 is. Now I want to give you just a few, as we close, specific directions about the challenge. First direction is this. Pray over all of the practical matters. So as you think about our ambitions, we've been talking about them so much in the last weeks. We have so many practical needs. We need volunteers. We need people to sign up. As we think about the two-service challenge, we still have a ton of people we need to sign up to, to attend both services. We need numbers. We need attendance. We need wisdom and skill. We're going to be working through applications and, and hiring processes. So many practical needs, and I'm not even just not touching hardly any of them. But the point is obvious. We need God's help in all of these things. We need lots help, and we need God's blessing to rest upon all of the details as we work towards these ambitions. And we can be sure as we pray, we can offer up these practical details, and God will help us. So that's the first matter. Pray over these practical matters, but I also want to go deeper here, and this is the second thing I want to say. Make sure your prayers reach. And our prayers need to reach because we are not just praying for finances or more volunteers or numbers. Those aren't the goal. Those aren't the end of what we're after. No, what do we really want here? Why are we coming together as a church? Well, we want the gospel to make progress in the city of Thunder Bay. Very practically, we want men and women and children to come to know Jesus Christ, that they would experience the gift of forgiveness. And that they would walk in communion with him. And that they would know, know the joy and pleasure of having him as a savior and friend and king. 
We want God to be glorified in Thunder Bay. And so as you pray, pray for the practical things, but don't forget to reach. Reach towards what really matters. Third, this is getting towards more of the challenge end of this. Pray for these ambitions consistently. I'm asking that you'll pray for these every day. So commit to incorporating these ambitions into your daily rhythm of prayer, taking them to God and offering them up to Him. And so I urge you to work at consistency. So some of you, that might mean you can just take that card and stick it in your Bible. So you do your daily Bible reading and you, you see the card and you say, yes, I'm going I'm to pray for these things because we're doing this as a, a church. Or maybe you, you have a list You can put these in a list or you can put a reminder on your phone. Whatever it might be, work at consistency. Let's do this as a church. Let's pray over these ambitions every day and see what God will do for us. Fourth, pray over these ambitions scripturally. Our prayers often become so weak and ineffectual and boring and meaningless when we close our Bibles The worst thing you can do for your prayer life is to pray with a closed Bible. You should pray with your Bible open. For example, you should pray for these ambitions with Psalm 90 open in front of you. And Psalm 90 will fuel your prayers. You'll be able to see something and taste something and be driven along by something as God opens your eyes to see into his word. And so use scripture as you pray over these ambitions. And the last thing I want to say, fifth, Make sure to pray with your heart. Use your heart. You just don't want to ramble through these things. Use your heart. And what you'll find is you pray with your heart, God will do something to you. You'll find yourself further invested in the mission of the church. That's what happens when you pray. You're drawn into the work. You love the work. You're concerned about it. And so pray with your heart. Let's pray now. Father, we are so thankful for your word, and we so desperately need your word. We pray, would you fasten it to our hearts, that we might really pray as a congregation, and that we might really pray consistently over these ambitions. And Father, we're going to pray with faith, because we believe you are a God who hears us and answers us and loves to give good gifts to his children. We look forward to seeing what you will do for us in these days. We pray, establish the work of our hands. Show your glorious power to us. Amen.